Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me today, Ricardo Benavides. Ricardo, say hello to the people. Hey, peeps. <laughs> so uh, Brandon was uh, is out. He's, uh, I don't know where, he's a doctor's appointment or something. Family matters. Only has one kidney, so you got to yeah. give him some slacks yeah. from time to time. Uh, we actually went down, um, uh, it was actually just telling Aztec and Jack who are uh, kind of sitting in on this podcast today with us um, that me and Brandon and our buddy Joe went down to the Gonzaga uh, NCAA basketball game on Saturday which was crazy fun and exciting and uh, we're driving down there and uh, some other friends of us were meeting meeting us down there and wanted to have some drinks and I was like Look, there's three guys in this car, and or there's three guys in this car, and only four kidneys. Okay, we're not we're not drinking tonight. We're not drinking tonight. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we went down. We had a good time. And you yeah. weren't an eligible driver. No, anyhow, I was right? an eligible so, yeah. driver. Right. Yeah. So those guys had to had to drive back. So, uh, yeah. No, we we went down, had a good time, and uh, and yeah. So Brandon's MIA this week, but he will he will be back with us. Um, I, I'm assuming next week. So. Uh, anyway, if, if you guys uh, could like, rate, uh, review, listen, share, all that good stuff, this podcast, we would appreciate it. We're on all the podcast platforms, so wherever you're listening, just go ahead and give us those five-star ratings. We appreciate it. Uh, Ricardo finally had the guest I've been trying to get on the podcast for over a year, Amberle Snyder, this yep. week. Um, you know, this... Her story is crazy, man. Well, you know, it's a, it goes back to that ordinary day scenario, right? Right. You know, you're just uh, doing your thing, and in yeah, a blink of an eye, your life changes. So right? anybody that doesn't know, Amberle Snyder was, she was like the, I don't know, LeBron James of female rodeo coming out of high school, yep. like ready to go pro, uh, was driving from her home in Utah to Colorado, um, flipped her car, her truck, uh, multiple times and ended up with a spinal cord injury and, you know, is all by herself out in the middle of, I, I think, did she say she got hurt in Wyoming? Yeah. 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 So she gets hurt in Wyoming um, on her way to Colorado and, or to Denver, I guess, uh, to go work for a couple of weeks to earn some money and ends up getting, having to get airlifted to a hospital and then has to like after a couple of weeks of being stable has to get flown back to utah it just just a crazy scenario oh yeah went yeah. through rehab immediately says all i want to do is get back on a horse and i'm pretty sure she said within a few months four she, months four yeah. months she's yeah, back months, yeah. they yeah. Yeah. and and she figured out a way like so there's a movie based on her story called walk ride rodeo on netflix and we discussed a little bit about the the making of that movie like what where her input came and um things like that and yeah so she said within like basically she figured somebody had who was a barrel racer would use this this harness device to kind of lock him into his saddle so that he wouldn't you know uh slip out or whatever the case may be and so they were like, well, let's try that with Amberlay. And so she was like all gung-ho, wanted to get back on the horse right away. And 
now she's barrel racing against able-bodied people again at, at rodeo events and it's just it's it's remarkable to see and i'm going to put some video of some of her performances on on the podcast page so people can see them but i mean it, yeah what a story yeah and you know um one of the things is is people probably are like you know that's dangerous right but you know with all your guests you have re- remarkable stories all the time of people that just have this uh incident something happened to them on an ordinary day and it changes their life and they get back up and you know literally she's getting back up and getting back on that horse right is her goal and she's made uh, herself another champion yeah and it's very inspirational to see what uh, your guests are doing and, and Amberly's just another one of those yeah you know and I thought it was interesting because, you know, you think, okay, so what was the feeling like getting back on the horse? What was that? And she is pretty honest. Like it It wasn't magical. Yeah, It didn't go the way she thought it was (laughs) going to go. It wasn't, wasn't as great as she thought it was going to be, but um, you know, just, yeah, the, the determination and, and just drive to overcome is, is remarkable in her. So I'm, I was honored to have her on the show. I really, you know, think that that her whole, you know, like what she's doing now, like with with uh, she makes these uh, wheelchair Wednesday videos on YouTube. I meant to touch base on that, but I know we had a pretty limited time with her, so um, I didn't get to that. But uh, yeah, so she does these wheelchair Wednesdays where she like shows her transferring from her wheelchair into her truck or. Um, you know, getting on to her into her saddle or just like various like everyday things right. that she does um, that, and how she has to, to do them now with uh, with dealing with her, her spinal cord injury. And, you know, she gets up, she shows how to get up at her standing frame and um, she was at, and I, I just watched a video of her at her standing frame. So in the, in the, uh, in the interview, I'm like, oh, it looks, I was like, I'm not sure, but it looks like you're up at your standing frame there. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. And she's like, kind of showed like pulled her phone around to the side to show how she was standing up there and uh when she was giving us kind of her her ideas for for ways to live healthier you know with the spinal cord injury she's like that's one of the important things she does quite often so yeah i was uh i was so grateful to to her to to be able to to share share a little time with us and, and yeah, give us give us her rundown. So uh, Amber, uh, those Wednesdays are like uh, what the twins do, right? They keep it real. You yeah. Know, and they uh, give you the videos and the difficulties and. Um, right. Uh, uh, what's the one video with the young man that tries to uh, maneuver? Um, you talked about. Oh it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a the, yeah. She did a, a yeah. She does a. Uh, she was speaking from the F. FFA, which I'm not going to get that yeah. wrong. I, <laughs> yeah, in I the know. interview, I call it the FAA, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the FFA. And that's uh, the Future Farmers of America. Right. Yeah. And so she was speaking at like their national conference and had some pe- some kids come down from the audience and had one kid like get in a, in her wheelchair. She like transferred over onto a just a regular seat and had two kids stand, you know, like two feet apart and then and uh, put a board down and had two other kids stand on either side of the board with their foot down on it against the floor. And she's like, okay, you have to back, you know, she had this kid get in her wheelchair and try to maneuver through all these people within like 30 seconds or something. And he did a pretty good job, but he, he ate it pretty hard too, trying to go over the board uh, in the wheelchair and, yeah. and, you know, fell back on and fell back and, and kind of ate it. But, uh, 
yeah, it was it was interesting to you know, see her put it into into perspective for the people in the audience. Like, yeah. this is kind of what my life was: getting thrown into a wheelchair at a young age and having to figure out how to maneuver this stuff. And then she did it her she did it herself, but uh, she did it while she's doing a wheelie in her wheelchair, like arched back. Oh, it was right. pretty. It was pretty uh, pretty good video to see, so I'm gonna I'll attach that one to the uh, to the podcast page too, so everybody can check that out. But it was uh, it was pretty inspiring seeing her her go through. But the kid the kid did a good job too for his first time in a wheelchair. Yeah. So you know that's one of the things that um, you know since I've been doing this with you, Jeremy, is that I'm always uh, you know I wake up with a hurt shoulder or an ache or pain somewhere and I, I don't complain about them anymore right because I just realized that you know every week you're uh, interviewing somebody that's had something happen to them where their life is totally different right. and uh, they you know they have to cope with the the um, the differences and then w one of the other things is that um, getting yourself back out there which is really hard to do right absolutely you know because you know your world is now you know, you were walking last week, and now this week you're maybe in a wheelchair or something worse, you know. You may be able, you know, more like you, a quadriplegic that has difficulties even moving around in a regular wheelchair. Right. So, you know, the thing that happens to somebody's psyche is really um, hard to imagine. Well, and that's the thing, you know, yeah. like Jorge Sierra talked about it when he was on the show. Um, it, it, it's like what what is your wheelchair? Cause we all deal with it. We all deal with stuff. It's just that with with people in in wheelchairs or with spinal cord injuries or whatever, you can see our injury or or our what we're dealing with instead of you know like a lot of people deal with stuff you know internally all the time and they're like just in their head whatever the case may be. So you know it's a it's a good I guess it's good to to have that perspective. But at the same time, like I'm like oh man, I'm I'm so lucky that I don't. I'm not on a ventilator or, right. you know, I can at yeah. least do what I can do and I can think, think, uh, for myself and, uh, you know, I have my, most of my faculties about me as far as mentally goes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is what it is, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. we all, we're all dealing with something. So. And, and that's what makes the, you know, the stories that you have and these uh, interviews like Amber's, uh, more remarkable, right? Yeah. Cause they get right back out there and get back on that horse. Yep, exactly, exactly. And uh, you brought up the twins, Ashley and, and Nikki Lorenz. Yeah. Uh, it was actually there on St. Patrick's Day was their life day, which is what people in with spinal cord injuries call the day they were injured. Um, so it was just their life day a few days ago, so I wanted to, to give them some recognition. And, uh, and also, uh, Brianna Wheeler, it was just her life day a couple days ago, too, so kind of small world like a few people we've had on the show lately uh it was their life days just recently so congratulations to them and all the amazing things they're doing but um yeah well let's we'll, we'll get to Amberley Snyder here and we will talk to you guys on the other side all right this week on the live to walk again podcast we are so excited to be able to visit with Amberlay Snyder. She is a barrel racer, keynote speaker, author, and actor. Um, Amberlay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. I, yeah, I'm super excited. So for anybody that doesn't already know a little bit about your story or hasn't seen the movie yet or anything like that, can you kind of explain to us how you got injured and, and suffered a spinal cord injury? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've loved horses my whole life. I started riding at three and competing in rodeo at seven. And so horses were a big part of who I was and, or who I am even. And uh, I competed through all the junior rodeo days up into high school. And then uh, my life really changed in 2010 when I was on my way to Denver, Colorado for the stock show to work. And uh, I ended up overcorrecting my truck, which resulted in rolling me being ejected and hitting a fence post, which is what broke my back at T11, T12 and injured my spinal cord. So I would say that is a kind of in the nutshell, how I started life over. Wow. Wow. And so what, you know, what state did that, did, did your accident, so it didn't happen in Colorado either. That's where you're on your way to, but um, you know, where did you go through rehab? Like how did that go? Um, you know, as far as, as immediately after, I guess your accident. So I wrecked in Sinclair, Wyoming, and uh, they lifelighted me to Casper in order to get my surgery. And then I was in Casper, Wyoming for 10 days before they flew me back to Utah for my physical therapy. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of travel right after a, a spinal cord injury on top of, you know, just dealing with the, the new reality of what's going on. Uh, how long did you spend in rehab, I guess, um, after they, they got you back? back to Utah? It could have definitely been worse. I was only in, in patient rehab for six weeks. So it really could have been worse. It was actually kind of fast. Um, I mean, luckily I didn't get any other injuries. And so it was just once they felt like I was independent enough that I could go home, then that's what I could do. Wow. That, that's, yeah, that's great that you were able to get in and out so quick. Um, what, uh, what was that like, I guess, transition? I, I've got so many questions just now that um, since you're a barrel racer again, after, after your injury, which is incredible what you're doing. Um, how did, I guess, how did it go transitioning back home after the accident? And then I want to dig into like, who, who came up with the idea of even, you know, how to get you back on a horse and, and all that sort of thing. So yeah. How did, how did things go anyway, transitioning back to home, I guess, immediately after. Well, you know, it's uh, everything is such a journey, right? Everything is such a process. And so I feel like they can't really warn you what you're going to feel like when you go home and everywhere you went, right? It was the last time, you know, last time you were there, you were walking. And so that's a lot to take in. As far as getting back on a horse, I mean, I wanted to do that from the very first day of therapy. Like I told them, that's what I was going to do. Uh, it was just the means of how was I going to do that? And at what point is my body healed enough that doctors and my mom will approve me getting back on? So such a process. I mean, process trying to figure life back out in a chair. Um, and then of course, you know, figuring out how I could get on. It took me four months before I was able to get back on a horse. And that day was incredibly hard. Actually, I wish that it had been awesome, but I had told myself if I got back on my horse that it wouldn't change, but it did. I mean, obviously I had to. And so there was such a process that went along with even getting back in the saddle and being able to be where I'm at today. Well, that, that's uh that's yeah you the, you know that was my next question was gonna be how did it feel like once you were sitting on the horse for the first time and I guess yeah you, you kind of answered that with you know it's, I guess it's different so it's not it wasn't the same I guess it wasn't exactly what you were expecting um wh where did the idea I guess come for like I, I know you essentially use like a seatbelt type situation to kind of keep you uh, on the horse and basically attached to the saddle. But when when did 
that thought come into your head and, and you saying, hey, I can still race and, and do really well in this sport? So that was um, some help from like one of my biggest mentors. I call her my second mom. She had actually found someone in Arizona that had a seatbelt on their saddle as a team roper. And he wasn't paralyzed. He could still use his legs, but he was weak enough that he couldn't use his legs and rope. So he had a seatbelt on his saddle. Well, we had him send us pictures of his setup. And once he did that, then we were like, all right, let's put that, let's put that together. So we started with the seatbelt on my saddle and then it had to shift um, because my legs were still so flaccid, of course, that it kind of, you know, my horse thought I was kicking. And so we had to, we did Velcro straps for my legs. My feet were banded in. We did all of these pieces and they were very much trial and error. So we'd, we'd get on, it didn't work. I'd honestly get frustrated. We take a break and then we're like, okay, now what, you know, what do we do now? And so it was such that process of, of like, all right, how can I get to where I want to be? And what do we need to make my body do in order to do that? And it started with that seatbelt and then it worked its way through. Wow. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. How, I was watching some uh, YouTube videos of you racing and it was incredible, uh, you know, seeing you, yeah, I mean, you're just as fast as any able-bodied person out there, which is just incredible. Um, just the, the determination I'm sure to, to do that. So, you know, I, I watched the movie Walk, Ride, Rodeo over the over the last uh, couple of weeks here, kind of getting ready for this interview. And um, I was wondering how close to reality, you know, like how close to the story, obviously I can't stick to exactly with, with, with uh, every single detail in there, but you know, how much input did you have? Like how much, how, how realistic was everything in the movie? So they did a pretty good job, honestly, with the movie. Um, I would say like 80, 85% is accurate. And I give them um, leeway on some things. Like, for example, I didn't get power for Christmas, but I did get my first horse for Christmas. And so I even give them okay on that, right? Because they were trying to combine stories and they have to try to fit so much into such a short amount of time that you have to give them credit for a couple of things. But there was, of course, Hollywood that got involved. So there's definitely things that are bigger and things that are more dramatic as well. But I still would give them, you know, 80%, 85% maybe on their like consistency with the actual story. Right. And so did you have any have much input on like the the, the script or or the, the story as they were going through the writing process? Or is it just they they kind of looked at your story and wanted to, to write a script and, and go from there? So it started with the script. We actually wrote that in 2013. And I had a lot of input on the original writing of the script. They had to shift things for the timeline, but I had a lot of input on that. And then um, a different company actually came on in 2015 after the American had happened. And they bought the script from the first company. And then we revamped it with the American at the end. And I still had quite a bit to say with the script. And then it was sold to Netflix. And then once it was sold to Netflix, I had more of an opinion than a say. And that's in the script, that's in the filming process, that's in the editing, that's all of it. It just became an opinion. So they had the final say, of course, they had all the funding involved. And so they were able to make the final decisions. But they did ask, you know, like what I liked and what I didn't like, or if there was anything I wanted changed. Now, of course, they could decide whether they changed it or not if I said I liked it, but they did ask. So I don't know. I mean, like, I felt like I had an, had an opinion the whole time, but not as much of a say. 
Gotcha. And for anybody that doesn't know, the American, I guess, is is one of the big rodeos of the year. Um, and it was that was that the first time that you competed? Then was was that that American that you're talking about that they they uh, decided to to run with the movie script off after or add that into the end? Um. So they they added that in. I'd actually been back running for five years. By the time I ran in the American, I was voted in as the fan exemption for the American, which is the world's richest one day rodeo at that time. So it was, I mean, it's like the Super Bowl of rodeo because it's all of these coming together and they let there be a fans exemption. So the fans fans were able to vote me in. And yeah, that was in 2015. I had started, my rec was 2010. I started running barrels in 11. So, I mean, I'd been running for a couple of years. That was just like a really big rodeo to be invited to. Um, Like definitely the biggest national stage that I have run on. Even still, I would say the biggest national stage that I have made a run on. So that's why it was a good ending to the movie is that it was a pretty neat experience to be voted in as that and go and run against the best of the best. Well, and like for anybody that doesn't know already, you were, I mean, what like the top or one of the couple of top uh, female rodeo or barrel racers in the country at the time when you, because you're still a senior in high school, right? When you got injured or was, that's what I thought from the movie, but. Yeah, it was, a, I got, I wrecked the year after my senior year. So I had just finished um, like high school rodeo and Little Bridges rodeo and I had won the world all around title for the Little Bridges. And so I definitely was at a good spot uh, as far as the, you know, age comparison, like I was in a good spot. I was doing a lot of cool things. And then, then yeah, definitely I wrecked and that changed a lot. And so you were well on your way to being, being a professional barrel racer anyway, um, which is just overcoming this injury. I mean, it's, it's an inspiration for sure. Amberly. I, I can't tell you how, uh, how nice it is to hear that, that story and seeing that you're getting to, to, you know, we're able to get back on the horse and, and start uh, competing again. And also, so you, I, I, at the end of the movie, so I mean, hopefully everybody's seen it by now that I'm not spoiling anything, but um, you and your sister actually did all of the stunts for the movie, they said, which is incredible. Like, I, What was that like? That part was a non-negotiable, even for, for them to take the contract in at all. That was in the contract because I'm the only professional paralyzed barrel racer in the entire United States. So there isn't somebody that can do what I do. And I didn't want somebody to try to come in and pretend like their legs didn't work. So I had told them originally, the only way that I would even agree to the contract is if I could play my, uh, my own self as a stunt double when it came to the writing scenes. And I wanted my little sister to be the pre-accident stunt double for the reason that she rides just like me and looks just like me. And so, and not to mention how special is that to have her get to be my pre-accident stunt double. So yeah, we, we put that in the contract that that was what it was going to be before we even agreed to doing the whole movie all together. And, uh, it wasn't a choice. So they had to do that. And it was really cool. It was cool to have her on set riding in all those pieces. It was fun to be on set myself with the real horsepower, of course, and, uh, and play ourselves. Oh, that's cool. So the, the horse was the real horse. It was really power as well. That's awesome. Um, you, you know, in the movie, they show uh, the, this kid from uh, the FAA program kind of hounding you to come and speak at, at one of their conferences. And so I'm curious to, um, you know, know how, I guess, how accurate that was. And then is that kind of how you started the keynote speaking, motivational speaking um, in front of big groups like that? 
not quite. All of the love story is definitely Hollywood. So they they added in the love story. That's what they wanted in there. Um, as far as the kind of my speaking though, that did start with the FFA. I was serving as state FFA president when I wrecked and I had written a retiring address, which you can write on anything you want. It's like you're going away speech at the state convention um, where you retire as a state officer. And I had written it on overcoming obstacles in December of 2009. So then I wrecked in January of 2010 and was living that speech. So two months to the day after my accident, I did not walk on stage at convention, but wheeled on stage on convention and was able to give that speech. When I did that, I just started getting asked. I started getting asked from, you know, schools and, and banquets and things like that to speak. And so that's where it had started. So they kind of tried to fold that in with a love story um, because everybody wants a love story. So that's what they did is kind of try to fold that in to be something like that. But I, my career of speaking definitely started in the FFA. So that part they got right. Gotcha. That, that's very cool. And I did see, I think it was from uh, just a couple of years ago on your YouTube channel, uh, you speaking in front of the, an FFA conference and having a kid who had never been in a wheelchair or anything, uh, just an able-bodied young man, try to maneuver through some kind of simple tasks that, that maybe people like ourselves in wheelchairs um, you know, do every day, but that other people would take for granted. And I, and like, I thought your speech was amazing. And yeah, I suggest anybody go check that out. Maybe I'll, I'll attach that YouTube video onto the to the podcast page so people can can see um, see your speaking as well, but uh, yeah, that it was it was incredible. I was I was definitely inspired myself by just hearing hearing what you were uh, talking to these kids about. So that was great. Um, I did want to know about Yellowstone, which is um, you know favorite uh, TV show of the Live to Walk Again podcast. Um, we, yeah, I saw you on there and I think I had already reached out to you at that point when, when I saw you on Yellowstone, it was just after that. And uh, I was blown away. Like, how did that come, come along for you? How that opportunity arise? So the, I actually was a friend or am still friends with somebody that is on this set quite a bit. And so he had mentioned my story to the producer and when they started planning season three, they were honestly having a discussion and the producer, Taylor Sheridan had mentioned to my friend, you know, I need some sort of inspiring story for Jimmy. And he said, heck, you already know one. I've already told you one. So that's what they did. They wrote me in the script. And uh, then they just contacted me and said, hey, we wrote you in the script. We're gonna need you to show up so we can film. And it was pretty dang cool. Like they did an awesome job. It's obviously very short, it's a little tiny cameo, but I was very honored that I was able to be a part of it. And it's fun to see how many people who have seen it like nationwide or even outside of the country um, that recognize me from Yellowstone. Yeah, that's cool. So did you get to, I mean, um, did you get to meet any like Kevin Costner or any of the people? How, how was it being, uh, being on set there? And uh, was, it, you know, yeah, was it a pretty, uh, pretty incredible time? So they only the people that are in that scene itself will be on set at the time, you know, they don't just hang out the whole time. So I just had Jimmy and his girlfriend that were on the set at that moment. Um, I've been able to meet some others as well later on for different things, but not all of them. I haven't met Kevin Costner yet. So um, I'm hoping at some point, I keep telling them they need to do a, like a Yellowstone reunion. And of course I should be invited as a cast member and get to, to be a part of that whole group. There you go. I saw Jimmy's getting a spinoff. So maybe, maybe they'll uh, bring you back in there. Uh, that'll be, that'll be pretty amazing. Um, 
You know, the one other thing I was wondering about, Amberly, before I, I let you go, I know uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but w- when you first went back, and, and in the movie they touched on this a little bit, um, uh, of some of the, the other parents, I guess, like looking back at your, you know, talking, you know, kind of negatively to your mom, like, why would you let your daughter do this? Um, things like that. Did, did you run into a lot of kind of opposition or, or discrimination like that when you, uh, when you first got started back trying, uh, you know, getting into the racing and, and competing again? You know what? My parents heard about it more than me. I feel like they were, they discussed that more than, than people did with me. They were very supportive when it came to me being on a horse, but my mom and dad said that they had multiple discussions with people asking them, you know, how could they let their kid back get back on a horse? And that's so dangerous and strap me to my saddle and all of those things. So those conversations really did happen very rarely with me. Um, I mean, I maybe had one or two that just asked if I felt like it was safe and I still do. I'll ask, have people ask me, you know, what do you do if your horse falls? I'm like, I don't know. I'm in it. Like that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm staying. So I've had people ask me that question, but they've always been pretty dang supportive. Now, like I said, the discussions that were going on behind me to, to my parents sometimes were a little bit different, but honestly, people have been good for me. They, I think they've been surprised how well I was able to come back and how competitive I'm capable of being even though I am strapped to my saddle. Yeah. You know, it seems like barrel racing would be a pretty dangerous sport if if you can walk and, and have full function of your legs. Um, Have you had any kind of accidents or anything um, doing competing in barrel racing, practicing anything like that? Yep. I have. Yep. I have. I've uh, shattered a kneecap. I've, broke my femur, um, tore tendons in my ankle. I've smashed my face. Um, I got a pressure sore. Yes. I've definitely had accidents. That just happens with horses. Right. Right. So the, was the, the pressure, uh, sore story from the movie was, was that an accurate thing? Um, yeah, yep. It was, it was, it started out as a saddle sore that first summer that I started riding and then it got worse into a pressure sore while I was going to school. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it mentioned school a couple of times in there in the movie as well. So did you how long before you had you already started going to college when the accident happened or were you just kind of getting ready for that? No, I had taken the year off to be state FFA president. So that's why I was a year out of high school or a year, a year out of high school and not into college yet. As I took that year off to serve as the state president and didn't want to have too many conflicting things. So I started the fall after my accident at college and I went on, I got my undergrad in agricultural education and then a master's in school counseling. Oh, that's very, very cool. Uh, well, yeah, just uh, a couple last questions here. I wanted to know, I did, when I was going through your YouTube channel, I saw a little 10 minute video about you and your mom traveling to Medellin, Colombia to go get stem cells. And I, you know, I always ask people like anything, especially other people dealing with with spinal cord injuries if you have done anything kind of outside the box that that you can talk about or suggest to people and so I, I wanted I wanted to know what your experience was like both traveling to Columbia and then uh, I mean it looked very beautiful like the area you guys were in the hotel and everything um, but yeah what, what was that experience like for you and and how did the stem cells work I mean did they bring anything back or 
Um, I mean, it was a really cool experience. Bioaccelerator is who reached out to me and wanted to do that. So we did. And uh, the country itself was great, like to go over there and travel. It's a little scary because nobody speaks English. So it's a little bit tricky on that concept, just as the language barrier while you're there. But the facility that they have lined up is really nice. You stay in a hotel, it's in the same building to get to the the medical tower in order to have your um, your stem cells put in. And I do want to go back. I wish that it had given me more things. Like, I don't feel like it gave me new things, but I do feel like it has helped what I have, if that makes sense. So um, like it's helped my bladder out and it's helped, you know, muscles that I felt like maybe weren't as strong. I think that they've gotten stronger more than new things, if that makes sense. Now, I mean, I do want to go get it again. I feel like there was a lot of benefits that came from it. And I do, I mean, if you can do it and can afford to do it, I think that it's worth doing. I hope that eventually over here in the States, we can do everything that they are allowed to do out of the country because that would sure as heck just make it cheaper and easier on everyone. Right, yeah, and I was gonna ask you, I know you mentioned that they're, I guess they're, um office they have offices in in arizona but then you to actually get the treatments you have to go to to uh, to columbia so um what was that uh i guess like how long were you down there for um you, you know i guess what was the kind of the, the whole process for for getting those done i was there for two weeks the first time and like 12 days 11 12 days the second time so um, you get you can get a certain number of treatments. You can get them IV or you can get them directly into your spinal cord. I've done both. The first time around, it actually hurt more pain than I've ever been in in my life. Um, so the second time around, and we only did it straight into my spinal cord the first time. The second time we split it, we did two in my spinal cord and two through IV. And uh, there wasn't as much pain with that. So I, if I went back, I probably would do that same thing again. Um, kind of one of two of each so that I could have a little bit of the alternating and then hopefully wouldn't do all the pain again but um yeah it's about two weeks takes about two weeks to get that many treatments wow yeah that that's uh that's very interesting I'll have to look into that um yeah I'm, I'm so I'm so happy to I was happy to find that to, to hear hear your experience a little bit because that's that's definitely something that I know a lot of people dealing with spinal cord injuries are, are drawn to to trying stuff with, with stem cells. So it's good to hear your experience. Um, any other kind of, you know, I guess outside the box things that you've tried or that, that you do or, or things you just recommend that people should, should, uh, try out with spinal cord injury. I think I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think you're in your standing table right now. I am. Awesome. I'm in my yeah. standing frame. Yeah, I am in my standing frame and I definitely recommend that. I mean, I feel like if you're going to, it's it just there makes such a big difference in order to physically stand, you know, not just for the physical part, but even the mentally and the emotionally and all of those things. So I stand um, every day and I, mine's a glider. So it moves back and forth um, nice. for me. I can move with my hands back and forth. So of course I would always recommend that. Um, I've also, I'm working on getting rewalk legs and um, hopefully I'll be able to get some of those and, and do that. And those rewalk legs felt incredibly different than like, you know, even standing in the standing frame or the leg braces, they're different because they actually do have the gait of walking. So I'm hoping I can get those. That's really all I've done though. Just those couple of things. I, I want to be able to get an electrical implant in my spinal cord. I think that's what I would really want to try next. So whenever I'm going to be able to find the right place in time and, and all those things to get along with that, then I'll try it. Right, right. Yeah. And actually I did, that's when I reached back out to you. I know we had had some communication a while back and and uh, you were pretty busy at the time. So I, I waited, um, I tried to wait it out and uh, I saw it on your Instagram or, or 
something the other day one of your social medias that you had gotten up in the in one of the exoskeletons that's what made me actually reach back out to you so what was that experience like for you yeah getting to you know to actually walk and and not only stand up but, but actually be able to move oh it was actually incredible it's kind of bittersweet because it's it feels really cool to be able to be up and walk and actually feel like you're walking um but at the same point on the bitter side like it makes you miss walking so it's a little bit of both. Like I absolutely loved it and I want to have them because I think it would be sweet to be able to walk in them, you know, more often, even, even if it was a couple times a week at a therapy center to walk in those would be amazing. And I know that I could get better at them, which then, then who knows what the possibilities are. But I mean, I had people ask if I could ride in them. I'm like, no, they're not really built like for that. They're, they're just built to walk. And even in therapy concepts, they're not really built to make to be, you know, use out of an office or out of a therapy center type thing. I mean, they can die, right? Like the batteries do die and you have to have somebody nearby you. Um, so it's not really realistic to use all the time. I don't even know how you would get those suckers in a car. So I don't think they're realistic to use like that concept, but definitely it was a different kind of walking than what you do with leg braces or, or how you even feel standing. It's very different. And um, yeah, I mean, it's sweet that's that's so cool um and then the one last thing i was gonna say i um watching some of uh your interviews and stuff uh, from over the last few years i saw your in the movie your dad is coaching in uh, coaching baseball in hawaii at the time of your accident and then i was watching i saw an, him interviewed for a moment in, in one of the uh, clips and he had a cleveland indians jersey behind him and i'm like is that that Corey snyder and so I looked them up. I and I, so baseball cards have become a huge thing again during COVID. I guess like people are buying baseball cards like crazy, and they're worth a ton of money again. So me and my brother went through all of our old baseball cards, thinking we were going to strike it rich. But I'm pretty sure I have about a hundred of your dad's like old cards from like the '80s and '90s in in uh, in like six boxes out in my living room right now. So it was just a. Uh, that was just a crazy coincidence to me. I had no idea that that was your dad. So that's very cool. Yep. Yep. I come from a cool family for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys, some athletes in, in your family for sure. They're Amberley, but um, yeah, well, Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking some time. I know you're super busy and um, you know, we wish you all the best and, and appreciate you coming on, on the live to walk again podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. All right. That was Amberle Snyder. I definitely appreciate her. Um, I th thought that was funny at the end. I was like, I had to bring up her dad being a former professional baseball player. And uh, I swear to God, I have like maybe not a hundred of his baseball well, I took cards. Two of but them, like, so you oh, have 98. Yeah. I think so. I only had about 30 of them anyway, <laughs> okay. but yeah. They, they call that the junk wax era where there was like a million of every player's card and they just had they mass produced them. So yeah, yeah you have uh, pretty much uh, every baseball card known to man from the like 89 to 97 or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that's yeah, pretty crazy. Cause I definitely remember him as a Corey Snyder as a baseball player for the Cleveland. So, uh, so maybe uh, Amber's going to become a, a movie star here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. getting to be in Yellowstone, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big accomplishment that I couldn't believe it when I saw her in there, you know, cause they, there's a whole storyline about this, this character, Jimmy, that she mentions and he's, uh, he works for 
the Yellowstone Ranch, but he wants to be a, a cowboy or a rodeo guy, and he gets messed up bad, and then uh, he meets this Amberly Snyder girl who's uh, at a rodeo or something, and she uh, she comes by, and they talk to her for a minute, and uh, it was yeah, it's pretty cool, man. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know the way they uh, mainstream that, you know now. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, she gets uh, gets another recurring role in the show or something here and there. Because that, that was pretty. I mean, that show's pretty big. Everybody, oh, everybody yeah. seems Gina, to watch it now. Your aunt Gina just, you know, shuts the door. Get hit at Don't the right, bother me while I'm watching Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It hit at the right time with uh, with COVID. I think. I think everybody was stuck at home anyway. Yeah. So it's cool show. Exciting to you know. It's a, it's a good one, man, for sure. So know a lot of people that watch it are for a willie uh willie frank the third i know him and his wife are big uh big watchers of that one too so yeah we're the we're the uh show of record of yeah the tv show yellowstone i would say yeah the podcast of record uh but yeah you know amberley was was so nice to to come over and 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 talk to us for a bit and um yeah i can't thank her enough for that and you know, well, you know, I found it interesting that she went out of the states, you know, for some um, oh, yeah, yeah. stem cell research and uh, implants. Yeah, that was yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, she went to uh, Colombia. Colombia, yeah, yeah, yeah Medellin, Colombia, yeah. uh, to go. Yeah, and it, it looked beautiful, like the play. There's a whole video of, of uh, that they produced of her and her mom traveling down there, and and yeah, she got the the stem cell. Uh, implants or uh, stem cell injections i guess and yeah yeah but she did mention that she got them like straight into her into Spine. her spinal cord yeah. and that it was like the most painful thing she's ever dealt with and like she she mentioned right before that how she's like you know broken her face and oh every, yeah everything else you yeah. know falling off of her horse so that's yeah, yeah i mean that, that must have been pretty damn painful but uh yeah you hear all the time though about um people traveling to other countries to get these stem cells and having bad reactions. So it's good to hear of a positive, uh, positive outcome for her. And even though she said, you know, it helped her a little bit, not nothing crazy, but she would like to go do it again. Um, but yeah, you know, she, I, I'm glad that she mentioned that it would be nice if we could actually do stuff like that in the United States and right. not have to yeah. travel to, you know, th- third world countries, essentially. I mean, yeah. you know, Colombia's yeah, pretty you know, and, and you and uh, you kind of have to risk, you know, all the things that happen, you know, with the, you know, just moving in through an, in throughout an airport, right? Right. You know, and all the difficulties of, of do, taking care of yourself, and you're probably gone there for an extended stay, you know, and yeah, something she else mentioned happens, she was there so. two weeks the first yeah. time and like yeah. twelve days the second yeah. time, so. Um, yeah. yeah, but hey, I mean, at least she was able to to get down there and, yeah. and take advantage of that situation and yeah hopefully they'll start loosening the some restrictions here i think they're worried about cloning and all kinds of crazy stuff that you know would probably happen if they did it did do it here but i'm sure they do you know like you never know people people do crazy stuff but yeah, well, let's think, just let's just make sure Trump doesn't get his uh, DNA frozen or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, hey, but um, I agree. But we're gonna keep yeah, this non-political. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so one of the things is um, that uh, she talked about was her injuries, right? After um, getting back up on the horse and riding, that she's been mm-hmm. injured a couple times, and uh, a lot of people. Um, you know, think that when, once you're hurt, right, you get this thing that you're going to be like uh, in an egg cart in your life for the rest of your right. life, right? But it's it's good to see that, you know, just like 
everybody, you know, on an ordinary day, you know, getting in your car is risky these days, you know, out there on the road, crazy people shooting, people driving crazy, whatever, you know, just because you're disabled doesn't mean you not want to have an ordinary life, right? Yeah. And you got to embrace that. And I I thought that was really, um, well, I overused the word, but inspirational, you know, to make sure that, Mm -hmm. you know, let other people know that have gotten injured that are listening to this podcast that you don't have to live in a bubble. Yeah, no, I agree. You should, uh, Ricardo, you need to watch the movie Murderball uh, about uh, wheelchair rugby. Oh, okay. So if you, yeah, if you're thinking of stuff like <laughs> was, that, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. I was watching uh, women's rugby the other day, New Zealand. Mm. Oh my god, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. they're rougher than the men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, the the quad rugby is pretty gnarly, man. Yeah. These guys knock each other, knock the crap out of each other. It's pretty wild. They, they flip out of their wheelchairs and. It's it's a it's a wild ride, man. Watch it. I I'd, I'd heard about that movie for years. I probably saw it ten or fifteen years ago now, but it was it's worth it's worth a watch. It's pretty crazy. So, um, speaking of people, you know, staying, you know, trying to still do stuff to, I guess, feel alive, really, man. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah well, um, yeah. I don't know, man. I think I think that's a wrap on this one. I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the hell out of this uh, interview. I think it was a good one. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, we're going to be – we have a, a pretty cool guest coming up this next week as well, a young woman named Bentley Blaze um, who is doing very cool things. She's an artist, and she calls herself a tattoo collector kind of <laughs> on uh, Instagram. So she's, she's pretty awesome, though. She's really uh, – you know, she's a recovering – I think, you know, she's, she's dealt, dealt with substance abuse issues and I really wanted to touch on that. Like, you know, somebody getting injured, already having some of these issues and then like what that's like after you are injured and then how you overcome that. Cause I know our guy, Eric Hawk from, uh, Portugal, the man, he's also a, uh, a recovering addict and, has been clean and sober for quite a quite a long time and he actually got clean and sober after his spinal cord injury so i think he dealt with stuff from from the wheelchair which i am anxious to hear about we're gonna have him on again too at some point in the future but um yeah so we're gonna talk to her about some yeah that'll be good because interesting stuff another one of those guests that you can you know you don't judge people by their mistakes you judge them by what they're doing right yeah, yeah. exactly exactly so yeah hope you guys uh, enjoyed this one and yeah we will be back next week with bentley blaze and hopefully brandon and hopefully brandon and uh yeah until then guys have a good week all right thanks jeremy thanks